Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you'd like to read along, you'll find in the blue Bible in the pew in front of you this passage on page 910. And in the bulletin, uh, we're reading Acts 2, verse 14 through 36. However, Pastor Darwin has called an audible. So I'll be reading through verse 41. Starting with chapter 12. Excuse me, chapter 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea... All who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions." And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God, raised up, and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of our living God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us in our weakness, help us in our inadequacies, uh, both myself and this whole congregation, that we, Lord, might worship you aright even in this hour, that we might glorify your name, we might grow by your word and not neglect, reject your word, that I myself, Lord, would live by this word and believe this word and be encouraged by this word. Lord, come to us mightily, we pray, by your Holy Spirit that you have given to us abundantly. Lord, bless us in it. Bless us as you promised to do good to your people all their days. Do good to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we saw last week, there's this great rushing wind. Uh, must have been weird in the sunlight of the day to suddenly hear wind. You know, we're, we're accustomed, maybe there's a tornado watch, there's a huge storm outside, and you might hear it blowing, but suddenly they hear this blowing and massive sound. And naturally, everybody's like, what is that? Where, where's it coming from? And they begin to locate the source And they collect around where these disciples were gathered. And then suddenly, these disciples are breaking out in their midst, in the midst of these thousands of people. And they're speaking languages from their locations. I'm trying to think, what's an analogy for this, for us? Because it says these are guys from Galilee that are doing this, people from Galilee. Galilee's kind of like, Alabama, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so, imagine a delegation from Europe, and they're wanting to get a piece of American culture. You know, so they're going to these particular places in America. They don't go to, uh, for instance, they don't go to the Kimball. They go to Ammon Carter because they want to see the Western art because they they've got European art. You know, so they're they're seeing these particularly American things. So they decide we're going to go to the Talladega Five Hundred which is now the Geico 500 in Talladega, just so you know. Um, and so they're in the infield. I don't know if you know anything about the infield of the Talladega 500, but not all of them are college graduates. Um, <laughs> and so they're hanging out with these uh, people in the infield of the Talladega 500, and suddenly... All these people from the countryside of Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and Tennessee start speaking in the European languages. You know, like Estonian, Latvian, Lithuanian, Swedish, uh, Norwegian, Finnish. They're, They're speaking Serbian and Croatian. They're speaking Greek and French and Spanish and German. They're speaking all of these languages. Now... 
Probably you couldn't argue with Peter that it's just the third hour and they couldn't be drunk. <laughs> Not at Talladega 500, but <clears throat> it was still a good argument. It was still a good argument here in uh, Jerusalem. And certainly you're not going to get those people filled with the Holy Spirit, probably many of them at the Talladega. Um, But that's the point is where you would least expect it, where it can't happen. There's no way in the world. And yet there they were speaking their languages. It was a stunning, gripping event. And that's what Peter is playing off of, right? That's what he... Because there, there, some of them even sarcastically saying, well, they must be drunk. And so Peter addresses that very thing. And here are the two things that he gets to in this sermon. And we can't, of course, deal with every detail. It's such a rich and wonderful uh, sermon. And likely just to snatch kind of the general outline of what Peter said that day. But his first point is to make, to, to, to establish that what you're seeing is the promised outpouring of the Spirit, promised in the Old Testament, it is here. And it's ushering in not only the age of the Spirit, but final judgment. It's just around the corner. But that is his first point, okay? Realize what this is. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised in the whole Old Testament, and its final denouement, its final ending, is going to be judgment. You got that? Okay. Then the real point he's making is, and it's here because of what happened with this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? That's his, that's his real point. What you're seeing is a result of what God did with Jesus of Nazareth. And it shows us that the emphasis of this passage, the emphasis of Luke in telling it, the emphasis of Peter, the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, is just what Jesus said it would be. He said, he will come, said this in the upper room in John 15 and John 16, he says, he will come, he will bear witness of me. Okay, He will glorify me. So as much as this is a passage about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the clear evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the focus of the sermon is bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is and connecting this event to Jesus Christ. So as he uh, begins here, he, he goes to this prophecy in Joel. And this is... This is one of the most glorious and richest of the prophecies, but it's scattered throughout the Old Testament of how, uh, like in Isaiah thirty-two fifteen, he will pour out his spirit upon uh, his people. Uh, Jer- uh, Isaiah forty-four three, he will pour out his spirit. But he focuses on this particular passage in Joel, and what he's saying here is that whatever Joel was talking about, it has happened. Whatever it was that Joel, Joel was talking about, this is what you are seeing happen right before your eyes. It's interesting in verse 17 when he says, in the last days, because Joel says afterward. He's talking about one of these days, later, when it happens. And so Peter is making the point, in the last day, these are the days. The last days have begun in this event that you have seen. And it, it, it's inescapable for them that this is something that we 
we've never seen before. It's cataclysmic. It's amazing. But you see, just that event of people speaking uh, in, tongue, in their tongues and declaring the works of God, that, that was not what brought them to Christ. It was the preaching of the gospel. It was the preaching of Jesus Christ that brought them to Jesus Christ. It wasn't just a demonstration of the mighty spirit falling. But then it was the gospel that was to be proclaimed. But he says what will happen as he pours out his spirit is that your sons and daughters will prophesy. That includes so much of what happened in the New Testament period. It certainly includes uh, the appearances of Christ to the apostles in many ways, even demonstrated in Acts. It includes also the very sermon of of Peter himself that uh, his people will prophesy, they will proclaim my truth. But in the widest sense, it includes all of us. And many commentators point this out, that it, it basically is pointing out that knowledge and understanding of God will pervade the people of God in a way never before. They all, and, and it's interesting how many times this is uh, said in the New Testament uh, concerning uh, our knowledge. That as uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, you all are taught of God. Or in 1 John, he says, uh, you've all received an anointing and you yourselves know these things from God. It says in the Old Testament in several places that uh, he will, uh, for instance, in uh, Isaiah 54, 3, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. Or in Jeremiah 31, he says, I'll put my law within them and write it on their hearts. They shall all know me. Okay. So there's this wide knowledge of God that is going to take place because the Spirit is poured out on the people of God. And you have to remember that the Spirit in the Old Testament was poured out on kings, poured out on priests, poured out on prophets. That's all, okay? But now we all, in a sense, are made kings and priests and prophets under God. We all are given this royal endowment of the spirit and presence of God in a way that had never happened before. And this is coupled with, in the New Testament, it's not just the spirit, but it's this glorious unveiling of who God really is in the person of Christ. And along with this never before imagined unveiling of the majesty of God is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we truly can be enabled to perceive and be transformed by that incredible revelation of God. We are living in this glorious revelation and we're living in the midst of this glorious outpouring of the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, one way that this applies to you and me is don't be discouraged that you can't know God and can't know His Word. You have been given the Spirit of God. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture concerning the New Covenant, some of you really going to understand God and some of you just not going to know that much. It doesn't say that. It has these, all your children will be taught by the Lord. They shall all know me. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. 
Or Philippians 2.5 when he says, have this mind that is in you in Christ Jesus, as it's translated in the ESV. By having his spirit, he gives us an incredible capacity to perceive and embrace and love and adore the majesty and, and, and goodness of God. And you, you can see how they're hand in hand. It's, it's the giving of the spirit and the word in that classic sister passage uh, of Colossians and Ephesians where Paul's talking about the same thing in the same way in the same passage But in one place he says, be filled with the Spirit. And the other one in Colossians 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it's almost puzzling because you'd think he'd say either one or the other, you know, be consistent. But to him, they're both uh, two sides of this one coin that you must be filled with the Spirit and Christ's Word will rule. If you are filled with the Spirit, His Word will be ruling in you. If His Word is ruling in you, it's because the Spirit is filling you. So have a new endeavor. And also, you can't have an excuse, okay? Really, can't have an excuse that, well, it's just not for me. I'm not the student type. All I need to know is just a little bit to get by, just to believe in Jesus. I don't. These are glorious riches, majestic. The, the things that make men and women happiest in this life are the revelations of the greatness of God that are ours through the Holy Spirit. And it says here, sons and daughters, young men, old men, male servants, ser- I will pour my spirit on all of them. I don't have a special dose of the Holy Spirit. I don't. Okay. You may wish I did. You may wish I had more. Uh, I, I don't. You have the same spirit I have, right? You have the same capacity from God to delve in his word and embrace these things. Grow in grace. Know him. Enjoy the fact that the spirit is poured out on you. And then this rather strange uh, part of the passage where he talks about the wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. These likely embrace some of the things that happen in Christ and his miracles and the death and resurrection. But then he talks about blood and fire, vapor, smoke, etc. Verses 19 and, five, and 20. Um, you know, John the Baptist, when he was talking about how the Messiah was going to come and baptize in the Spirit, he said he will baptize in the Spirit and in fire. So there was always this association. I'm baptizing with water, but blessing and judgment are coming through Messiah. Okay, The outpouring of the Spirit and judgment are coming with the Messiah. And this is what we see here. That salvation, rich knowledge of God and judgment are coming upon this world. They're both here. And we're to take the outpouring of the Spirit as the sign of the certainty of the finality of judgment. They're both announced at the same time. Because the mention of sun and moon is taken from uh, Genesis where the sun and moon are the rulers of the day and the rulers of uh, the ruler of the day and the ruler of night so always in scripture they're taken as signs of rulership and many times signs of man's pride and so when babylon is overthrown it says concerning the overthrow of babylon the sun will darken and the moon will turn to blood now not literally okay 
But figuratively, this kingdom is going to topple. These representation, these, these images of rule, they're going to topple. This is used repeatedly in the Old Testament. So that in Luke 21, when Jesus is talking about uh, his coming and the moon and sun being affected, he's actually talking about the judgment upon Jerusalem that fell upon them. The destruction of Jerusalem. And there the imagery is used. And we have to see in Jerusalem one of the most awful pictures for us a final judgment that even those named by the name of God, if they turn away from Messiah, this is what they will face. All will face judgment, regardless of who you are. And that's some of what is found here. Paul even said in 1 Thessalonians 1 that judgment has come upon the Jews. Even as he was seeking to rescue his fellow brethren. And he said, I could be a curse for their sake. I just long so much for them to be saved. And we should have that same longing uh, for uh, our Jewish friends. Um, but that, that judgment is a, a foretaste of the final judgment. And Paul talks about that. In 2 Thessalonians 1, when he speaks of the unveiling of fire and judgment on all those that do not obey Jesus Christ. So this is a sobering passage. And it gives all the more weight at the end when he says, Repent and believe. Uh, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. It's against this backdrop. Repent Because judgment is come. Repent and receive this glorious gift of life in the Holy Spirit and receive the wonderful benefits that Jesus of Nazareth's death has brought forgiveness of sins. But know, you must know that if you turn away this glorious gift, especially at this stage when God has come in the person of Christ and sacrificed and suffered for our good, and you still say no to this God, you must know that judgment is coming. So, a glorious and and sobering uh, uh, quotation here from Joel. And he says, what you see here, what you've observed with them speaking in your languages, It's what Joel said. This is what Joel said. And here's the token of the whole new world that we're in. This new age of the Spirit that has finally dawned that will finally usher in judgment itself. But his real point is concerning Christ himself. And notice how he he starts there in verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, in saying Jesus of Nazareth, it's a particular location of of Jesus. It's very interesting how often that phrase is used. Uh, For instance, when they're going into Jerusalem and and, and he's going in on the donkey and everybody's, you know, stirred up and they say, "What what is this? Who is this man? It's Jesus of Nazareth. When Peter was confronted with the slave girl, she said, He was with Jesus of Nazareth. And even when the sign was over Jesus on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And and Paul says, when he appeared to me and I said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you're uh, Nazareth, who you're uh, persecuting. 
So this, this located for them the particular historical person. And, and he's able to say, you know who I'm talking about. And you know what God did through him. Uh, you know that he did mighty works and wonders and signs through him in your midst. I love that. As you yourselves know. And they're probably sitting there, yeah, 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 we, 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 know, we saw it, we saw it. And then he says, this death of his, verse 23 was not just a haphazard death. It wasn't because you guys got together with the hands of lawless men and crucified him. This was according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. He was sent by God to accomplish God's purpose. It was a God-ordained death for God's purpose for that death. And so this is all about God. God attested who he was. God did these miracles through him. God had this plan that he would die and then God raised him from the dead. And you remember when he's saying God, he's talking about Yahweh, your God, the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham spoke through him. The God of Abraham attested that this was his God. The God of Abraham had planned to send him and the God of Abraham raised him from the dead. And he gives this quote from David uh, in uh, Psalm 16. And he's, he's arguing here, especially this phrase in verse 27, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see, see corruption. And it's as though Peter says, I bet you, I just bet you if we raised his grave, brought out the coffin, we might find that he's had a little corruption. What do you think? You know, Because he says, uh, he died, was buried, his tomb is with us to this day. So he said, this talk about you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter's saying he wasn't talking about himself. Obviously. Couldn't have been talking about himself. Or you say, well, David, you you didn't get that one right. He said, no, he's speaking as a prophet here. He's speaking as a prophet. And he's speaking of one of his descendants because all through the Old Testament, beginning with David, It was understood that one of his descendants would come and sit on the throne forever. And he would be the anointed one. David himself was the anointed one. Referred to himself as the anointed one. And this one is coming who is the anointed one. An anointed king like David. An anointed king who will rescue Israel. And so he says this. He he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the anointed one, because anointed one, Mashiach, Messiah in Hebrew, was also translated in the Greek in the Old Testament, Christos. Or if it was the verb, it's Creo, to, to uh, anoint. So all that time in the Old Testament, as they're saying Mashiach, Messiah in Hebrew, the Greek translators are saying Christos, Christos, Christos. It was all the anointed one. And so Peter is saying, the one that David spoke about that did not suffer corruption, it was this Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus of Nazareth is none none other than the Mashiach, Christos. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. God raised up this Jesus 
He is, and this is the resurrection of Messiah. You see the two things in verse 31 and 30, verses 31 and 32. The resurrection of Messiah, the resurrection of the Christ, is, is Jesus raised up. And he says, we are witnesses. And what you are seeing is the result of the Father putting him at the right hand of God and pouring out his spirit as was promised in the Old Testament. And now you have seen uh, and heard it yourself. You've seen it. You, you've seen it the, and, and heard the, the, the very language uh, spoken to you, your own languages. You've, you've heard the rushing wind. You see all of this evidence. And he says, again, quoting David, David not only did not, uh, he suffered corruption and he did not ascend to heaven, but this one did. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so then he declares it boldly. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him this Jesus of Nazareth, Lord in Christ, whom you crucified. And, and in the original language, that's the last phrase, just like it is. He's made him Lord. He's made him Messiah. This Jesus of Nazareth understood whom you crucified. So you see what Peter's doing to say all of this event is the outpouring of the Spirit. And the outpouring of the Spirit is because this Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God. Here's your proof. Now... For you and me, or maybe you're here and you're considering the claims of Christ, this event, this historical event, without this, and if this is not true, then pack it up, go home, find something else to do. Because Christianity is bogus. Christianity is a lie. Christianity has no basis whatsoever. We are entirely dependent upon the testimony right here in this passage that tells us the meaning of the death of, of Jesus of Nazareth, what God did with Jesus of Nazareth, and who God made Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Mashiach of the Old Testament. He is Messiah. He is the Christ. And he is exalted at the right hand of God. It's true or it's not true. It happened or it didn't happen. And we, by the Holy Spirit, the very Holy Spirit that's poured out, have been convinced that this indeed is the testimony of God. This indeed is what God has done in the world to rescue the world. This is our message and our good news to the world that God did send His own Son in the flesh for the sake of sinners to die in their place and then to escape death because, as Peter says, death could not hold Him. No way death could hold the Lord Jesus. And He's exalted at the right hand now to bring salvation to the whole world and to pour out His Spirit upon the whole world. And so each one of us has to ask this question and be confronted with Peter's own challenge. When they heard this, of course, they were cut to the heart thinking, we are on the wrong side of this equation. 
we have rejected the very one that God has set his love upon, the very one that God has exalted. And wonderfully, though, the first message to even those people who had crucified Christ is, there is forgiveness for you. He's not here to proclaim judgment. You people, you judge, you you put to death the very one that God had called. So that's it for you. We'll we'll take this show on the road to somebody else, but not for you. You'd think that was what was said. No, it's the very opposite. In fact, Jesus said, start in Jerusalem. Stay right there. Because I want my message of salvation and grace and forgiveness to go first to those people who participated in the crucifixion. That's the grace of this passage. He goes to the the ones who crucified him, to you. Now, obviously, pierced to the heart at what they did. But then he says, repent, have a complete reorientation of your life to and for this person of Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Lord. That's what baptism involves, that you're going to identify with him. You're going to fold yourself in with him and unite yourself to him and depend upon him for forgiveness and life. You're going to completely associate yourself with him and submit to his lordship and his kingship as the one who so gloriously died and was raised and now rules the world, this humble servant Lord. I call you to reorient your life around Him and be openly identified with Him in baptism. And in your association with Christ and Christ alone, the true Messiah, will the Old Testament prophets' promise of the Holy Spirit be given to you. See, the whole Old Testament promise that spoke of the outpouring of the Spirit in the final day is attached to Jesus Christ alone. And it is only in your association with Christ, only in your submission to Christ and embrace of Christ, resting in Christ, folding yourself up in Christ, that you will receive then this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that brings you into intimacy with God, that uh, opens up your heart continually to receive the truth of God and to be transformed by that truth. And then he says this promise. Notice how it, it, it's, it's put again, as it says earlier in Acts, it's the promise. This is the long-promised spirit that is yours that is going to be poured out for you. It's going to be poured out for your children. It's going to be poured out on all the ones that the Lord God calls to himself. And there again, you see, everything's about what Yahweh is doing because it is Yahweh that raised him from the dead. Yahweh that puts him at his right hand. Yahweh has made him Lord in Christ. And it is Yahweh that gives the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, from the Father And Yahweh is calling now people to himself. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, has sent his son, his Mashiach, his Christ, and now he's calling all men everywhere to come and be uh, and belong to him through this glorious Mashiach, this glorious Christ. 
what will you do with this Christ? Right? What will be your stance with this Christ? This, this proclamation, you have to realize, Luke is given this proclamation so that everyone everywhere can hear this, right? So that you and I are confronted with this person of Christ. We are confronted with the God of the whole universe and what he's done in Christ. And, it's, and if we turn our backs upon this Christ, if we reject the love that is offered and the grace that is offered to us, the forgiveness that is offered to us, there is no hope for us. But we have all hope if we give ourselves up to this one. And how glorious and wonderful that you can belong to one who is so mighty, one who is such a servant in dying for us, and yet one who now rules as Lord of all the earth. What a safe place to be. And we don't, this, this passage doesn't go into the details of all that the Holy Spirit brings to us. I spent a few, uh, uh, some time just writing single lines starting in, Romans, all the way through to the end of the uh, New Testament. Just single lines of passages that talk about what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I feel three pages, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. There would be a great exercise for you. Read the New Testament this year, just beginning with Romans, and just write down everything that the Holy Spirit brings to the table for His people. The hope and the peace and the joy and the love and the strength, uh, the, the giving of life in its totality to live in the presence of God. That is what we have in Christ Jesus. And I urge you, if you're considering the claims of Christ, uh, that, uh, you, that you weigh heavily what it would be to face this God having rejected the very Messiah that he has offered you at such a cost. Let us pray. Oh Lord, will you give us faith even now? And if there are those here who have not trusted Christ, may they see his glory in this. May they see the glory of what he did in that day that he indeed was at the right hand of God. He indeed poured his spirit out upon his disciples. There really was this wind and this, these tongues of fire that rested upon them, indicating that the glory of God had come upon his people and would dwell with his people in this new age of the spirit and each one of us having this spirit, each one of us knowing God in a whole new way, each one of us hearing about God in a way we never imagined before through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, may we seep ourselves in this rich gospel and may we all the more expect and welcome the powerful work of the Holy Spirit to dislodge us of all the barriers that stand in the way of our knowing and loving and adoring you through Jesus Christ. May he in his powerful work free us from sin. In his powerful work bring us to continual new character and new community as a church 
And as, as so indicated, as we know this new peace and this new joy and this new love for you, then we'll have a new courage in living that love out before in the midst of a dark world, all by your powerful spirit. Oh, Lord, bless us in these things. Cause us to believe in the glory of our Lord Jesus, who's been given for us. We pray this for your sake. Amen.